Hello, everyone. This is Arvind Sareen, your host and the CEO and chairman of Copper Digital. Welcome to another episode of Health Tech Innovation 2024-25, where we unravel the latest and greatest in the world of health technology. Folks, you've got a powerhouse guest today. This expert isn't just navigating the healthcare wave. She's sculpting it with a playbook that spans everything from budgeting to clinical research ops. Our guest is the Vice President of Care Transformation Services at MedAxium, an ACC company. She's the genius pulling the strings, seamlessly weaving together hospitals and physician organizations, making faculty transitions a breeze, and launching innovative healthcare startups. Joining us in the spotlight today is the extraordinary Anna Mercurio Pinto. Stick around as we tap into her insights on the health tech trends poised to dominate in 2024-25. Trust me, you won't want to miss a minute of this episode. Anna, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for that kind introduction. Um, I appreciate your energy, your ability to make the idea of a budget exciting. <laughs> well, there's a, just so much more that you've done and I can't wait to get into that conversation. So far, leading up to this conversation as well, I've been just really fascinated about the conversation that we're about to have. But let's begin with, if you can share with the audience about your journey on how you found yourself at the intersection of healthcare transformation and technology with Medaxium. Um, well, first, thank you again for having me here. This was an exciting topic for me. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to give you a little bit of background. Um, I truly just fell into healthcare to begin with, but more importantly, you know, once you see a little bit, you want to know more, right? Um, so for me, a couple of years ago, I had this amazing opportunity to work with uh, American Heart Association and One Brave Idea. You know, or I was already part of academic healthcare, specifically cardiovascular medicine. But in that, we tapped into the abilities of digital healthcare, right? And you see the possibilities. And once you see the possibilities, you don't want to go back, right? The re going back is feels like you're empowering the current state, right? And it just, it, I knew I couldn't do that anymore, right? Go back to traditional healthcare. Um, so hence the opportunity to, to join the MedAxium team came along. Um, and for me, it's the ability to influence and move things forward and finally help to transition healthcare, right? Help people to, to see the bigger picture, give them ideas, help them see what the possibilities are, um, and hopefully transition from the very archaic traditional healthcare system that we currently have. Well, Fantastic. No, that sounds like a plan. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit more about Medexium and what is the company's mission and what is it that you guys are building? So Medexium owned by ACC American College of Cardiology. Um, you know, Medexium is a membership organization and we have 500 plus organizations throughout the United States. Um, and we have this amazing opportunity to meet with our members um, and do consulting service and provide consulting around the country. Um, from, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast and everything in between, we get to see what everybody's doing, right? We get to help people um, with new leadership structures, with uh, their clinical service line, um, their transition of faculty to, to hospitals, um, you know, everything that possibly uh, could happen, we see it all. And the best part for us is we get to take best practices from around the country and bring them to new sites, right? Because the reality is there's no one perfect solution for anybody. Um, you know, based on your demographics, where you are in the country, your payer mix, there's so many variables that influence your practice. So for us, it's about taking the, the tidbits of information that we learn from all of our members and bringing them together and, and dissecting what would work best. Um, at the same time, trying to move people forward and say, 
you know what, this is the way um, cardiovascular care is moving. And I say cardiovascular care because that's what we are. That being said, it's a general healthcare problem. Um, and what, you know, the all of the obstacles um, and pain points that cardiovascular medicine experiences, they're actually healthcare-wide, right? They're in all subspecialties in all departments. Um, so for us, it's moving the everything forward in one direction. Wow, that's fantastic. So is a lot of your consulting on corporate strategy or like a high-level strategy or technology or all of the above from, uh, you know, the top to the patient experience, you, you consult with them on all of those topics? Yeah, it's exactly that. It's everything. It depends what the, the current, um, you know, uh, obstacle is or pain point for that practice. It's basics from access, right, getting in to see your doctor in time. How can we help them change their access um, process? from governance, um, you know, new people are coming in, new subspecialties, cardi cardiac surgery is now part of the team. How do you create a new governance structure that everybody can agree on? Compensation structures, there is always a, you know, a reoccurring theme and it's never a, a good problem. Um, but compensation is a reoccurring problem that we work with many of our members to figure out what, how do you modernize compensation, right? So it's not just based for services, just not based on productivity, but how do you move towards value-based care? Again, everything from strategy. We're, we have a great project going down, going happening right now with one of our members. We're helping to look at strategy, right? Network development. What are the other hospitals that we should be including in their practices? Um, how should how do they want to shape their practice in the future? You know how we think how we've been doing everything today is great, but guess what? That's not the answer for the future, right? There's, um, we know that lots of companies are buying up, a lot of these large um, corporate companies are buying up small hospitals. So what does that mean for patient care, right? How do we integrate all those hospitals so that we're not duplicating services, but rather adding value and extending services into the community? Um, so we get to do all of it. Um, and that's the best part. Again, it's bringing together all these best practices, right? I love that. And it sounds so exciting and looks like no two days are alike. And you're learning, um, you know, at a really fast pace by understanding the challenges of, you know, growing at a fast pace with technology and the advancements in healthcare, all of that. I mean, as a VP of Care Transformation Services, I'm sure it involves myriads of responsibilities. Can you walk us through a specific project or initiative that you led that stands out in your journey and then in which there was some transformation through cardiovascular organizations to deliver care? I think, you know, that's, um, again, the secret sauce from Axum, right, is that we all, the team is made up of folks with um, lots of experience all in the cardiovascular world. So it's nurses, it's techs, it's, um, you know, uh, imaging leaders, it's service line leaders, compensation leaders, all having work. So we all get to come together we go on site to um, our clients and get to dissect, you know, whatever the scope of work is at that moment in time. But I have to admit, every single project is not only a learning experience, but it's it's amazing to go into an organization, meet the people, at the same time recognize we all have the same problems, right? Everybody has the same problems. Everyone's miserable. <laughs> Nobody has enough people. Um, there's not enough doctors, too many patients at the same time. It's um, the best part is we get to put our two cents in and see what we've seen and then walk away and hopefully help them add value. So I can't say that there's one favorite thing. You know, a lot of it is understanding the people, obviously. Um, you know, I always say, we know, we deliver as an administrator, we deliver the same message over and over, but we need to cater the delivery based on the audience, right? Um, a general cardiologist to a proceduralist um, to an administrator, it's all very different. So we're constantly, you know, uh, 
trying to massage the relationships to get people to work together to see the problem from their perspective, right? From the physician perspective, from the nursing perspective, um, because again, they all see different parts of the, of, of, of the big problem, right? Um, so for me, they're all learning experiences. Every client um, engagement is special because we get to meet new people and get to see an operation that's run completely different from across the town, right? Or for me, I'm on the East Coast, you go to the West Coast, you go down South and it's amazing how we all have modified the delivery of care, slightly different, but yet we all, obviously, the goal is to take care of patients, right? For sure, for sure. So, and does any one of those uh, projects stand out from the kind of outcomes uh, that were produced by that particular project? Or, you know, just for our audience to learn, like, what's the nature of these projects? It sounds very interesting, of course, and it's a little bit like what we do, but maybe we're just a subset of it within that, digital transformation realm and something that has to do with technology, but it's very similar in the sense that it begins with the same question. Okay, what problems are you facing? And just doing a great job of listening, observing, documenting, understanding the current flow, understanding the current uh, you know, process, and then trying to put together what is that desired future state that you're looking for, and then trying to see how you get from point A to point B. Um, is there, is there, you know, any anything in particular that you'd like to highlight as an example? So, you know, I think of two clients specifically, one in Florida and one in Alabama. You know, the pleasure of, of some of these uh, relationships and the um, complexity of some of the scope of work is that we're thinking outside the box. We're thinking about the future, not the current state, right? Um, a current state, I think of access, like how do you, you know, how are we more efficient in making a patient appointment? already sounds archaic to saying it, right? So it's the strategy, thinking about the future. How do you how, how do you build in preventative care into your existing practice? So it's those engagements that are future thinking, people who are trying to be innovative, who are thinking about technology, who are asking us about what technology have you seen out there? You know, those are the engagements that are most satisfying because it, it makes us all think, right? It makes us all think about the future. How could we, if you didn't have any existing constraints, how would you want your practice to look, right? Um, so those are always the best practice, the best engagements, um, because it, you know, it allows us to build something the way you would want it to be built, not just modify an existing practice. So there are, you know, I think Baptist Health in Florida is amazing. Um, and the folks who bring us on board just to think about the future. Those are innovative thinkers. Those are the people we want to be working with, right? Lovely, lovely. Okay, well, that sounds great. Now, in your experience, how has or how can healthcare organizations overcome resistance to adopting new technologies? And when you talk about that, you know, you can lay it out from perspective of the provider, the staff, and also the patients. And are there successful change management strategies that you witnessed yourself? So, yeah. I, so one, I think, um, I think education is critical, right? We need to empower the patients um, to be to advocate for themselves, right? To be more involved in their own care. We put a lot of responsibility on the clinicians, um, on all the medical staff. The reality is patients need to be more involved too, right? Um, so it's providing better education to everybody. Um, and I, I mentioned, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, right? Is the nurses, the doctors, everybody's seen it, trying to see it from each other's perspective, right? We, we do a bad job of, of educating people on the entire continuum of care, right? So we need to do a better job. But more specifically, having worked at some large academic medical centers in Boston, the inertia, right? The inability of people wanting to take on work because they're already so busy. And we get that. We all lack bandwidth. That being said, 
we're not going to change anything. We're not going to make any progress either, right? And the uh, the IT department specifically, right? They work really hard. That being said, they're also the biggest obstacle to moving things forward, right? I mean, that's the reality. That you go onto this long list, you're in the queue, right? And they'll think about it, realize, and we know that they have a ton to do, but we need to be able to be more nimble, more agile, right? If we're talking about the IT jargon, we need to, you know, know how to do that. And right now we're not. It's this, you know, we have a lot of amazing ideas. The doctors have great ideas, but they're often overwhelmed just thinking about, oh, emailing the IT department, right? And then you close the door to innovation, to progress. And we can't do that. So I think it starts um, at the core of the hospital structures, right? These IT departments, they're huge infrastructures, they're huge departments, there's a ton of people, but yet they're not really customer you know, friendly in the sense of working with different departments, different doctors to figure out how can we be quick? How can we be nimble? And just because we're integrating a new app doesn't mean it's forever, but we should try it. We should see if it works. We should do lots of small pilots all the time um, and figure out how to do that. You know, it's, um, we know it works. Um, we see other, often they say, you know, Cedars is doing it or, you know, some other hospital system. Why can't we try it? And they have a million reasons why we can't try it. We just need to move beyond that. Um, and it's working together and figuring out how, how we do that. That's the only way we're going to be able to innovate and move things forward. I agree with you. I think it requires a lot of that persistence and resolve to, you know, want to bring these big changes. And when I think about the providers and the staff, I mean, saying that they wouldn't want a particular new technology, I don't think it makes sense. I mean, if it makes their job much easier, that they're not having to do some of those things manually, why would they say no? So it goes back to what you mentioned. It's about educating them that, listen, this is going to automatically do X, Y, and Z for you. So you're not having to you know, do this. And this is how it benefits the patient as well. Isn't that the key goal? But you're also right. Like we've we've run into these challenges working with our you know uh, customers in healthcare and even beyond. Like um, we work with Westinghouse Electric, and of course that's nuclear power plants, and they have security just as much, if not more, like the healthcare industry because disasters could happen if one thing goes wrong. And you know, working with the chief. Uh, security officer, chief information security officer, and, you know, getting those approvals was the most time consuming thing. But at the same time, with their collaboration, you know, the final product that we came out was also, you know, really solid. And we knew that we've done the right, um, you know, testing, and this is going to be secure. So that also, you know, was super helpful. But you're right, there's always that initial hump that you have to get through and getting everyone on board. And I feel like for us, what works best is just, you know, uniting everyone across the common goal and saying, okay, well, do you not want, you know, better outcomes for your patients or a better experience? And no one can say no to that, um, you know, but just empathizing with them and understanding and educating them, like you said. No, I agree. I agree with you on on that. So You know, and just to add to that, you know, often the problem is people, they want consensus on one program, right? One app. Uh, one specific program. And the reality is there is no one perfect program app for any, you know, any patient for any physician practice, because just the fact that people, you know, the mother multi-generational practices, they all have different abilities, right? Um, so that being said, we need to be open to multiple programs, multiple apps, knowing that everybody has different, are we, you know, we're all creatures of habit. We like things to be certain ways um, and that's okay. 
but we get really hung up on we want, need one solution. And that's just not reasonable anymore. True, true. And no good point about multi-generational because I know a lot of the people who've been around and they're used to their ways of yep. doing certain things or, you know, it could be the diagnosis. It could be interacting with the patients. I mean, it could um, be a little bit challenging to have that change. But at the same time, the younger doctors uh, that are coming up, they, they grew up, you know, with TikToks and Instagrams. And of course, they would more welcome a knowledge base where they could put in the information and have, um, you know, certain things verified to another level. And I know that, um, you know, relatability and then the kinds of tools that you have can also depend on, uh, you know, the generation that you grew up in. So it's, it's um, you know, a really important point. Now, as a passionate advocate for modernizing healthcare through technology, how do you envision the roles of artificial intelligence and machine learning in improving clinical decision-making or elevating patient outcomes and addressing other healthcare challenges globally, um, particularly in the regions with limited resources and infrastructure. How do you see that um, impact uh, coming up with, with the rise of um, you know, these new large language models, the Gen AI, with you know, AI um, making its way in all of the different fields? So first of all, you know, for many people, when you say AI, machine learning, it's still very intimidating, right? But the reality is it's all around us. We just don't even realize that our entire life is actually, you know, is functioning based on our Netflix, right? Our, our internet feed, everything is already based. You need to be able to ask questions, you like FaceTime. So that being said, we also need something to help complement their practice, right? Because the reality is one in four cardiologists are over 61 years old, right? They're starting to phase out. They're slowing down. We know we know um, people are living longer, and guess what? They're sicker because they're living longer, right? Um, so there are not enough doctors or not, not enough nurses um, to take care of this patient population that's growing and growing and growing. So what do you do, right? you got to find something to connect it, right? Some, some way to create bandwidth. So that's technology in my opinion, right? There's a lot of amazing opportunity out there. Um, so we should be able to complement physicians' practices by giving them all this information, a summarized version of it, right, of what's happening. Because no one, I mean, the reality is primary care can't keep up with all the new medications, nor can our cardi cardiologists, right? Um, all the different, you know, the diabetes medications, you know, your um, rheumatology medications, your heart, it's just too much for any one person, right? So we got to figure out how we do this at the same time, trying to help our patients. So we have to figure out how to integrate. Um, AI, and I know it works. I've seen it. I've had the luxury of being part of a program at the Brigham. That was amazing. It was AI-driven, run by pharmacists, very little doctor interaction. Um, and the patients loved it. We were able to get patients to goal, get their um, their cholesterol under control in 12 weeks. It usually takes years to do this because by the time you come back to see your doctor and recognize, oh, we haven't made any progress. Let's tie a new prescription, right? It takes years. So we know the long-term, this is a cost savings to the system. You have to educate patients. You have to give them opportunities. That being said, if you build these systems, you should be able to spread them out into the community, right? The folks who don't have healthcare, blood pressure, your cholesterol, diabetes, these are all preventable diseases. We know that. That being said, we're all going to continue to eat our cheeseburgers. We're never going to exercise enough. So we need to do more, right? We keep telling them they need to exercise more, but they're not, <laughs> right? You know, again, we, uh, we tell, you know, there's a ton of research that obviously a leaner diet, less meat is better for you. 
We know that. But you know what? We still like a cheeseburger. I do. My husband could live on cheeseburgers, right? So we got to do more. We need to spread the education. And it's really through technology, right? These AI-driven um, you know, platforms that are built that you extend into the community that people could use them on their devices, on their iPhones. Um, you know, most people don't even realize they have smartphones, but guess what? Everyone has a smartphone. Um, so we should be able to build this into their phones so they can monitor their own, you know, medical, their blood pressure, their cholesterol, all this stuff, and know the consequences of it. That's the problem is they know they have high blood pressure, but they don't realize the consequences of that. And that's the problem. It's the education, right? So we need to do a better job of educating, um, you know, the patients. There's great programs out there. I think of Mitonomy. They built these amazing educational modules, right, that are like these short little tidbit videos that tell you. What happens if you don't take your cholesterol med? You know, what happens if you don't take your diabetes medication? Like, what are the consequences? And that's what people need to see. Like, holy cow, those are the symptoms I'm having today. And this is what could happen to me, right? Um, but unfortunately, that's it doesn't, you know, real life, how we live our life. And then when we go see the doctor and you don't tell him everything that's happening to you um, because you only see him every eight months if you're lucky. You know, there's just too, it's too fragmented. There's too much disconnect between what's happening and how we're feeling. And by the time we see our doctor, right? So, I, you know, I... I honestly believe the technology is what's going to bridge it all together and help move healthcare in the right direction. I love it. And I think you touch on a lot of very important things there. Of course, these advancements, it's very hard to keep up with. I mean, there are new medications that keep coming up uh, for the good, new research that keeps coming up. And, um, you know, you're right. I mean, the personalized medicine is extremely important as well, where you could really give medicine on the basis of, how quickly the patient can, you know, digest it and, you know, other important markers can be there as well. And you touched on the remote monitoring as well, which is extremely important to just always have that uh, end goal in sight. Well, switching gears here. So wearable devices and health apps, they are becoming increasingly popular. From your perspective, how can these consumer technologies be leveraged to drive preventative healthcare and wellness initiatives. And also, if we consider like overall IoT's potential to transform um, many different industries, including the healthcare delivery, what role do you see IoT playing in a more interconnected and efficient healthcare ecosystem? Yeah, so again, you know, back, you know, back to complementary, comp, how do you complement your physician's practice? This is part of it, right? Um, in fact, this is the this is the real life every day at home. How do you monitor yourself, right? Um, again, the scales, your blood pressure cuffs. There's all this stuff all around us, right? Your watch. Um, it doesn't have to be an Apple Watch, you know. Lots of different devices out there um, that can monitor everything that's happening in real time. And that's what we need to do. Is first of all, is educate folks the importance of it. Um, and if you're going to buy the device, buy the one that you can remotely trans, you know, um, translate all that information up to your doctor, right? Or at least to yourself. So you have it. So when you go into your doctor, you can put it into your, you know, your chart. Um, so that, you know, again, when you go see your doctor in eight months, you forget about these details, right? But these details are important. Um, and that being said, as we transition healthcare, we should have a way to remotely monitor the patients in real time and see what's happening. And this is the importance of what you guys do, right? These real-time devices, these apps um, that help connect patients with their doctors, not FaceTime, but just electronically. And then, you know, you, we build these systems that create these red flags when there's a problem. 
Um, so it's, again, it's not because you're coming into the emergency, but it's because, huh, this is funny. Your blood pressure has really spiked the last two days or your weight has gone up. Something's clearly happening, right? So I think this is the bridge, right? Is the devices to real life and to your doctors, but it doesn't work if we don't educate people, right? It all comes back down to education. And that's the problem is it that finding a, an outlet, how best to educate everyone is problematic, right? We don't have the opportunity. So we need to make the opportunity. We need to create the opportunity so that again, we're all working together seamlessly, right? To take care of patients. Um, you know, aside from patient care, it's, you know, it's, we already know we spend way too much in healthcare unsuccessfully, you know, and this is all part of fixing the problems, right? It's not just patient care. It's our, it's the economics of our country. It's, you know, it's creating more jobs. It's paying people appropriately actually is what it is, right? Um, and, and this is how we eventually get to value-based care and we move away from this fee-for-service that we currently live under, this umbrella that makes it really hard to know that we're doing the best things for the patients, right? So anyway, so I kind of... Uh, digress there a little bit but it again it's the bridge right that makes sense and i think these technologies are uh, going to really uh, help us uh, increase wellness of course and that longevity and like you said i think it's it's monitoring and having that data the ability to um, understand what are your symptoms and then recording those to take it back and you know, even as simple as that, I mean, we did an application for John Hopkins, a survey application, you know, that they were able to use and, and, and get some really important data and then hence the insight. Similarly for, um, you know, cancer community, we did an application where cancer patients would see how they were feeling, their mood and other symptoms, and then have that log. And that's very important. But now, and this is a few years ago, but now all that can be integrated with you know, our uh, smartwatches, our other devices, and then people that are more at risk could even have additional devices that are more, um, you know, healthcare centric. They may not be the most, you know, the best fashion statement, but again, for health, you know, you could have all these different devices that could be um, transmitting that information even real time. Like if someone has a pacemaker or other devices that are you know in their body or outside just for monitoring i think those could have a huge impact uh, you know in wellness and and longevity as well but you know the technology evolves so quickly too i mean and as the technology evolves the role of healthcare professionals also changes how do you see the integration of technology impacting the roles of physicians and nurses and other healthcare providers in future like how would their jobs change looking at the pace at which, you know, these advancements are coming at us and, you know, with AI coming as well or becoming so, more technical. Yeah. So before I answer the question, I just want to touch base really quick on, you said, you know, everything is happening so quickly and evolving because it is, we know the research and the development of te technology and drugs um, and devices is, you know, is moving ahead really quick. Unfortunately, the actual implementation and the integration of new meds and new devices is not. You know, it typically takes, especially for medication, something like 10 to 12 years to integrate it into regular practice, right? From the time a new drug is, you know, FDA approved and considered to be value added to a patient, right? That it will help them save their life. And often is it integrated because guess what? The primary care doctors or that specific specialist 
they don't have the knowledge, right? They can't keep up with everything. So it takes a long time before it becomes part of their new practice, right? Um, which is understandable. But that being said, we, we need to do things faster, right? There's a reason these new drugs are coming out because they're better. So that's part of this, you know, technology, right? How do we education? How do you move things along quicker and faster? Because um, this is part of the reason that new drugs cost so much to develop, right? Because nobody actually uses them for 7, 10, 12 years. So, you know, these companies need to make their money. I get it. So that's part of the problem. Next problem is, you know, the integration of, you know, the home health centers, right? You're the, all this new trend, which it's not even a trend. It, this is where we're going to end up, right? Is how do you transition all these inpatients to at-home care? Um, because we know it works. You know, here in Boston, um, Brigham and Women's Hospital, they've done some great job, they, you know, in helping originally come up with some of these models and now acting, you know, integrating them into the community. So we know they work. We know they drive down costs. What does that mean for the people and the brick and mortar, right? There's also a lot of data to suggest that right now we're 80% ambulatory. And I think in, you know, the next seven to 10 years, we're going to be 30% ambulatory, right? So that means the home health and devices, wow. right? That's, that's where we're moving, the, um, the digital integration. So how do we do that? Again, I think it's education, right? We need to teach the value of what, of what everybody does, how we can all be part of the program, the process. Because guess what? We still need the nurses. We still need the doctors. You still need the NPs. You still need the pharmacists are critical to mission too. But it's making sure everyone is working to the top of their licensure, right? Making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the nurses aren't just answering the calls because guess what? There's a lot more value that they have. Um, make sure the pharmacists are doing you know, appropriately prescribing, doing what they're supposed to do. And again, making sure everybody is working appropriately. But at the same time, they don't have to, it doesn't have to be face-to-face, -face, but it's the technology that's going to make sure that it's all connecting everybody. It's seamless. It's up-to-date. It's HIPAA-compliant. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a CRM model like on steroids, right? Everybody should be able to see what's happening. And just because you're... You know, you have an Apple watch and somebody else has, you know, some other watch or their blood pressure cuff is by one company, you know, it should still all integrate. It doesn't, everybody doesn't have to use the same stuff. But meanwhile, all that information around us should be integrated into your medical record, right? Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of variables and there's no one solution. But I think that's also the, you know, the beauty of it. There is no one solution. There should be options for everybody, right? There should be options for you know, folks who English isn't their first language, right? Um, there should be folks who are incredibly educated, more sophisticated models, right? Um, devices, different things. If you're chronic care, very specific based to chronic care. At the same time, you know, it's easy to talk about. It's not easy to do, but we all need to be nimble and know that this is the direction we're moving in and we have to stop complaining and actually be part of the change, right? Totally, totally. No, well said. And I, I like how you describe in terms of the technology evolving, looks like there are really the three key phases from the research to the FDA approval to the awareness. And I think what you're saying is the research has now caught up. So there's a lot of research that's, you know, um, making great things available, great research papers, new insights. But then also the FDA process could maybe use you know, some some efficiencies that it could be done faster, although we know that safety is number one concern. So the, the, the trials and all that needs to come in and it needs to, um, you know, meet that process. So, but then the, that final step awareness, I feel like that can be done, uh, you know, a lot better. So healthcare industry often grapples with interoperability. I know you touched on that a little bit, like everything 
you know, needs to have that standardization. How do you see technology playing a role in improving data exchange and collaboration among different healthcare systems and providers? Because I feel like this is a real problem because, you know, within the U.S. we have all these different states and then sometimes they have different laws for, um, you know, not just the data exchange, but they have different, you know, laws for licensing. But I think just if we look at interoperability challenges overall, and I like how you described that the more of inpatient needs to be transitioned to at home for the betterment of the patients itself. But I think with with all of this, what other changes in interoperability or what mindset changes would help um, the healthcare industry overall? So it's a good question. And, you know, this is definitely from the government perspective, right? Something, in fact, it's easier, I think, to do this than to change reimbursement, right? Um, but would help move progress medicine in the right direction faster. One of them, you mentioned it, the licensing, right? Um, right now, the doctors um, are supposed to be licensed in that state to provide medical, you know, clinical support. And we know that's not reasonable, right? First of all, patients are traveling. Everyone's traveling all over the place, right? Um, so in theory, uh, we're, you know, I live in Boston. Everybody goes south for the winter. Um, the doctors uh, still talk to their patients in Florida they're do- because the patients call, right? So I think we need to be more lenient and assume that, you know, again, if you're licensed in Massachusetts, that the same licensure should be applicable in California, right? Um, and that's something, it's, it's shocking that we haven't been able to make progress in this area, right? But, you know, this is something the government needs to step up and do something quicker um, than not is help doctors. So again, spreading bandwidth, right? They shouldn't have, the patient shouldn't need three doctors. Their, their primary care should be able to function wherever they're at. Um, at the same time, that's not even good for the patient, the continuity of care, right? Every time you go somewhere, you talk to somebody else or you go into the ED. Again, these are all obstacles in the system, right? We actually just create more work. Um, so that's one of them is the ability for doctors um, and nurse practitioners and pharmacists to be able to practice um, across state lines. That should be period, right? It shouldn't be that complicated. Uh, True. And then it's obviously, you know, that's, you know, I keep referring back to like that one plug that now cell phones are required to have that one plug. Like somehow the government was able to step in, (laughs) right? You know, clearly that was so important, but it was a nuisance, right? Um, Versus it's much more efficient and cost effective to have one plug. We need to come up with that one plug. You know, the majority of the healthcare systems, um, not all of them, but a lot of them are on the on Epic, as we know, right? And we have Cerner, we have all these other ones. We still have a few that are on the home ground system, but we need to make it more seamless, right? For everybody to plug in and see the information. Um, we know it's possible. Um, you know, we have a lot of concierge practices that practice nationwide and somehow they're able to see their information easily, but these, you know, large systems cannot. Um, so we need to make it, we need to make it easier, quicker, faster. Um, and that's something it feels like the government should be able to step in. Um, and that shouldn't be a huge, uh, hurdle, right? It, right. it seems reasonable that you should licensure that they should be able to say that if you're licensed in any of these states, assuming the regulatory requirements are A through Z, it, it applies everywhere. Right. Um, absolutely. There can be some reciprocity as well. And even for, um, other countries as well, like, you know, for Canada and especially, even if you, like for PCP, I understand it may take time, but of course for therapists or, you know, a speech therapist, I mean, even they are supposed to have a license in that particular state. So 
you know, at times it doesn't make sense, or at least maybe we're not aware of some of the challenges that may come with it. But I think from what I'm hearing is a lot of these large uh, organizations that are, um, you know, the makers of these EMRs and EHRs, they need to um, collaborate and standardize a lot of the data. And also, you know, somebody should take initiative and, and you know, help standardize and uh, you know, negotiate with all of the big providers and then, you know, just have that as a standard practice. I mean, clear, somehow that was super important that they we needed to pass a law on that, right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, all the things that are super critical to mission, somehow, you know, it, it, people are overwhelmed by it, right? Um, and we know it's because there's a lot of money at stake, right? Um, there's a lot of companies, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of politics, um, but we, we just have to move forward. Absolutely. Are there particular uh, technologies, emerging technologies or trends that you find particularly intriguing or disruptive? Um, so I think, um, you know, when, again, I mentioned it previously, when I was at the Brigham, we created this amazing um, EHR agnostic platform that had open APIs that you could, you know, plug in a bunch of stuff. So, that, and that was the beginning of you see something and you recognize it works and we need to keep figuring out how do we move forward and not backwards. So, and that was a home built system. But again, it, it, you realize that it's totally possible, right? So that was the beginning of, of, you know, of sparking my curiosity. And then there's a ton of companies out there, right? I, I mentioned it also, my autonomy, education. Education is critical to all of this, right? Companies like that who build education modules um, and help create bandwidth are critical to mission. You know, I think of um, there's a ton of, um, as you know now, app for depression, right? Stuff like that, that we need to figure out how to create these, you know, different tools based on your patient population, right? Give people options and tell them, you know, so there is no shame, like document your, your food diary. This is your mental health. You know, we need to give people these options. You know, at MedAxium, we have um, this amazing luxury of working with lots of startup companies um, who are trying to break into the industry or have new technology um, and help them through uh, building their, you know, their business plan. And helping engage them with some of our clients for um, to build some, you know, some awareness. Um, but I'll be honest, there's no one perfect system, um, and there's no one app that I say everybody should use it. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Hence, everybody should try different things and see what works for them, as long as it sticks, right? So, like, that's the amazing part is, like you guys, there's a ton of stuff you guys are doing that are super cool. Same thing. Absolutely, absolutely, and and again, I mean, huge impact that it can have as well. You know, for me. I mean, of course, AI, at the risk of repeating ourselves, I mean, that is going to be a game changer in the healthcare industry as well to enable personalized medicine that we've talked about, personalized care. I mean, of course, telehealth, you know, has become huge after the pandemic. People have become more open to, uh, you know, taking appointments like that as well. And for for a lot of different types of appointments, um, it makes more sense to not have to go all the way and, um, you know, just do a meeting. I mean, when I'm traveling around the globe, I still have my PCP and I just do like a Zoom meeting type of a call and, um, you know, I'm able to get, get good advice. I think what else I'm excited about is, you know, of course, the mental health. I think that's, that's huge. That's, you know, overlooked that. And then with telehealth and with um you know the removing the stigma as such from the society of you know getting a therapist i'm a big you know proponent of that as well 
And last but not least, I would say like genomics. I think that can be huge as well. Like, you know, there is a lot of different medications depending on your genes could affect you in a certain way. And I think uh, the breakthrough there is is just mind boggling as well. So let's see. I think the next next few years are going to be, um, you know, very important, very critical. So as we navigate the, the digital transformation of healthcare, what steps organizations like, you know, somebody who's a healthcare organization, what steps can they take to ensure the benefits of technology are, um, you know, equitably distributed and avoiding the exacerbation of the existing healthcare disparities that we have already? Like, as an organization that's really eager to, you know, eager for digital transformation, how could they make sure that they're contributing in reducing, you know, that um, disparity in healthcare? So I'm going to make a shameless plug for one of um, the programs that Medaxium has um, helped build with Wharton Executive Education. It's a business program, right? It's the business of cardiology because the reality is, you know, everybody needs to work together to move healthcare forward, right? And the doctors do their thing. The nurses do their thing. Me, the administrators, we do our thing. And we often don't speak the same jargon and, and it takes a it takes us much longer to be able to come to a consensus to to agree to move something in a certain direction, right? So one of the things that MedAction has been passionate about is business education for fellows who are, you know, um, soon to be practicing cardiologists or cardiology um, doctors in training. So uh, helping them to understand what's happening, right? The service line, uh, you know, digital transformation, innovation, all the stuff that's happening so that when they go out into practice, they feel like they can take, they can participate in these conversations, right? Um, they can advocate for themselves. They can help try to figure out um, how to make the business proposal to bring in new digital um, applications into their practice, right? Because again, doctors have lots of great ideas. We know they're they're really smart people, right? But they're often not at the table making these decisions. And by the time we engage them, it's too late, right? So often the decisions have already been made. Um, so we need everybody to be at the table together. Um, we need to actively have these conversations. Um, you know, we're making decisions. We're making a lot of decisions that affect the practice of doctors, right? Without doctors. So it's a big problem if you ask me, right? Um, so I think they need to be at the table. And I think education, patients need to be better educated, nurses, everybody needs to understand the business value of what we're doing. And that's what we're so, actively trying to do with doctors for that reason alone. Do, do you also mean that maybe the minorities need to have a seat at the table where all the decisions are made and then through education and, you know, through all of the continued education as well, that could have a huge impact? So a hundred percent. This is part of educating all fellows, right? So when you go back to wherever you're from, right, those inner, you know, city hospitals, um, wherever it is that you work and you can advocate for yourself, right? Um, advocate for new programs, um, understand why you need to add new technology to your programs because of your patient demographics, right? Um, right. You're working to be a community, but often they don't have the tools to be able to do this, right? Um, so sure. we need to get, make sure everybody's armed with tools, which is business knowledge, to be able to apply that to their practice. Yeah, and being more aware of the problem as well, right? Like a lot of people may not even know that there's a problem that exists because a lot of the clinical trials don't have that diverse, um, you know, population on which they're tested. So it may not necessarily work as well for a certain race, certain demographic. And, you know, that goes back to 
um, you know, spreading that awareness, yep. you know, for the uh, future younger generation of doctors. And, um, and I think I agree with you. Well, this is fantastic. Um, I guess, speaking of, um, with your finger on the pulse of healthcare trends, what advice do you have for young professionals and entrepreneurs looking to make a positive impact in the ever-evolving intersection of technology and healthcare? So one, again, I can't say it enough, education is understanding what's happening around you, right? And you need to be able to speak that language with your business folks, right? Um, or with your clinical folks. And the second is, if you have a good idea, advocate for yourself, right? Don't take the first no. And, you know, just because somebody doesn't think it's a great idea, if your gut tells you this is better or this is, you know, for whatever value it adds to a system for a certain patient population, keep pushing it forward. And if it's not there, maybe it's somewhere else, right? Um, but find the people who are your advocates and who support you and help come up and tra transition great ideas into actual business, right? Because again, it's uh, I'm, I'm always impressed on how many bad ideas make it out into market, right? You see it too, right? It's like, seriously, this made it and all this other stuff hasn't made it? It's actually very disappointing, but it all it takes is a really good website, <laughs> some great marketing, and it's amazing what you can put out there. Um, and, you know, and the doctors obviously don't have that business sense to grade, you know, for that website or that great marketing. You need to help them understand the business value. Um, so I think education and being their own advocate, just like our patients. Honestly, we know that you have, we all have to advocate for ourselves, right? There's no one else looking out for us because sadly people just get lost in the shuffle. Um, and that's understandable. There's a lot happening. So we all need to advocate for ourselves. And that's not only in for our own medical our own healthcare, but it's our own professional careers too, right? Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I think um, be the change you want to see and persistence and resolve uh, seem like is a common theme. I love how across the board, you know, we've talked about education and awareness as well. Um, I think my two cents for the entrepreneurs would be a lot of times, you know, we have hypothesis and we have, we feel like something's going to work, but data-driven and evidence-based, you know, could be strategies that could be, uh, you know, extremely important. But at the same time, I agree. I mean, if, if, it's, if it feels right and if, you know, it, it serves that certain population or that need, then you got to go and, and um, you know, be assertive and speak for yourself and take a stand. And I think that's definitely going to help us move in the right direction. Well, Anna, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. This has been such an amazing conversation. I can't believe it's almost been uh, an hour that we've been talking. Thank you again for all what you do and your contributions in the healthcare industry through consulting, through helping all these different healthcare institutions. Yeah, no, thank you for the invitation. This was a ton of fun. I look forward to the stuff you guys continue to innovate. Um, and same here, right? Hopefully our paths cross in a more you know business um, environment. Um, it'd be fun to see it play out, right? Um, but again, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anna. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye.